uh, alongside Michael Bleakley out in Vancouver. Lots to talk about today. Um, we've got the Century Tournament of Champions, Cam Smith with a historic minus 34. Uh, we'll be talking about the Sony Open at YLI, full field event for the calendar year, as well as news from the USGA. The Women's Open has a $10 million purse. And uh, just coming out through PGA Communications, uh, breaking news, Bryson DeChambeau has dropped out of the Sony Open. Uh, also, we'll be talking top 10 funny and embarrassing golf stories, as usual, to uh, finish off the show. But before we get started, we've got a very special guest, uh, golf channel analyst and media personality, author of 12 golf books, host of Fairways of Life, Matt Adams. Matt, welcome to the show. Raphael, Michael, thank you for having me on your program. It's a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Matt. It's amazing. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you on. Obviously, a lot going on, but before we get started with all these uh, great things to talk about, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, I think our listeners and our viewers would like to know a little bit about how you got started in golf and where you are today. So maybe a little Coles Notes version of your journey in the golf world. Uh, I started working in golf pretty much like everybody else that's in this industry from, from being a kid and at the same time, you know, in school, at the same time, I had this crazy love for radio. I don't know why, but I was drawn to it. And when I was in high school, I would, I started doing work for a local radio station, local AM radio station. And I'd run off and do the games at night. You'd run in the morning and you had to edit the tape and actually cut the tape with a razor blade and re and retape them and put them through the reel to reel. So I was on this kind of dual track from, from a very young age of, of mixing media experience if you please with my love for the game of golf so when i graduated from college my first real job was at espn and i was doing production uh, mostly nhl some uh, nfl uh, uh, sports center and then i just wanted to get back in the golf again and, and i found my way back in in the early 90s but it was on the equipment side of the game so i worked in golf equipment manufacturing and, and it was a small private label manufacturing company. So we built for everybody else. And it's, you guys going to laugh when you hear the names of the people we built with, because that most of them don't even exist anymore, but links, uh, McGregor, snake eyes, slot line, uh, the list goes on and on. Even Nicholas Ram Wilson, we built for everybody. And so while I was doing that golf channel started in Orlando, and a lot of people that they hired came from ESPN. And I had worked with some of these people. And so they called me and they said, hey, if you have time, could you kind of come over and be our industry insider for these different segments on, on what was then Golf Central with, you know, Scott Van Pelt yeah. and Brian Hammonds and Jennifer Mills mm -hmm. and later Rich Lerner, et cetera. I said, sure. And so that just continued to develop this track of, of media in the golf industry. Uh, I ended up writing, started writing books and, and I don't even know why I did, but I ended up writing and I bumped into a guy at a golf trade show. He said, you know, we, we see your, your copywriting and you're really good at, as a writer. I said, really? And he said, my wife is the president of a book series called Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm -hmm. And would you be interested in doing some writing for us? And he said, it was ghostwriting. He said it was $300 a story, which to me at the time with, with little kids at home was a king's ransom. And so I ghost wrote a book 
called Chicken Soup for the Golfer's Soul. And Great. the book became a, a number one New York Times bestseller. I mean, I, not for me because I was a ghostwriter, so I didn't exist, but it still validated to me that I could do it. Uh, he came back to me and said, you know, we'd like you to do another book on NASCAR, believe it or not, auto racing. And he said, you're the only one we have in our stable that has anything to do with sports. Would you want to do it? I said, sure. And we were working on that when the terrorist attacks took place mm. and we stopped all efforts and we did a book to benefit the New York area relief fund called uh, soul of America. And that became a, a number one New York times bestselling book, but that one, at least I had my name on. So it's, it's almost like, you know, you're in your first major and you win it. That's how I felt, you know, mm. to, to have, have a book perform that well. Then I finished the NASCAR book and that became a, bestseller the end of the story which may go to the end of your show as you say with with funny or embarrassing stories i've done 12 books in total and i thought everything i touched was going to turn to gold and after those first two they're the only two bestsellers i've ever had so there you have it <laughs> well that's really interesting uh, matt you know thanks for sharing that with us you know this weekend's been uh, pretty interesting uh, I have never, in all the years that I've been around and playing golf, and much like you, because it sounds like not only Rich Lerner is celebrating 25 years with the Golf Channel, I think you are as well. Uh, you know, if you were there right from the uh, beginning. Yeah, I don't even know. It's It's been, uh, it probably was 96, I'm guessing. I've never really tracked it, to tell you the truth. I mean, Rich was different than me, because Rich was a, was a, a full-on contracted, employee from from the, the start and i think rich came two years into golf channel's existence if memory serves me i was basically freelance with them until that i actually signed a contract with nbc believe it or not i, I put pen and, and ink to paper at st andrews in 2015 but that was the first time that i was officially hired by by golf channel interesting yeah. It's, I, I remember when Golf Channel came out up here and how excited I was. And uh, the story that comes to mind is uh, Arnold Palmer talking yeah. about being basically advised not to do the Golf Channel. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he, he said, well, if I was told by my caddy not to hit from the rough, where would I be now? You know, I, I've got that quote wrong, but uh, essentially his, his business advisor said no, but he's like, no, I'm going for it. And uh, uh, look at it now. You know, the, it's, it's, it's pretty much 60% uh, of anything I watch on TV is the Golf Channel. So, uh, so I, awesome. I, it's big fan and i, I recall uh, peter kessler uh, way back in the beginning uh, yeah. you know i'm not sure what what he's up to these days but he definitely had that smooth voice and uh, uh was uh, it's great i i'm very excited that uh, the golf channel was created and um and, and the success that it's had over these years that story that you referenced with arnold palmer actually took place that's a real story it's mm -hmm. it's not just legend where he was sitting in a conference room and his all of his financial advisors were around him and it was Joe Gibbs and Chris Mervin was there on the golf channel side. And they all said to him, no, 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 don't do this. And his, and I, I'm paraphrasing as well, but I'm going to be close. He said, if I didn't hit it out of the woods sometimes, then none of us would be sitting here. And he said, we're going to mm -hmm. do this. That that's literally, if it hadn't been for that moment, the network wouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're a little closer on the paraphrasing than I was there, but you know, that's a, a great story and so thankful for it in these days now. I think Golf Channel was a much different place as well. I think they were trying to get major events and it was hard through 
to get the events or get any coverage. Right. So there was a lot of analysis done with uh, Golf Central and the Morning Drive and shows of that nature. And then you'd have all the different uh, learning shows. I remember when Jim Flick used to be on there and other, other professionals that you don't hear about right now. Um, but it was, uh, it was a different show and it, it's evolved into something very, very different. And um, uh, there's a lot of positives. And I think that it's it's changed for the better. Um, what's your take on the evolution of the Golf Channel and what's happened over the years? Well, they, well again, if you know the real inside stories of what they did and how they did it, how they cleared, you have to get space on, on these cable systems around the country and around the world. And they took a huge chance in going forward initially and saying, look, we're going to pay for the time. And everyone said, um, okay, we'll, we'll clear time for you. And then they flipped the switch and said, we're not going to, we want it to be part of basic tiers. It was a huge risk. It ultimately paid off for them. They were purchased by Comcast, which is a huge cable operator based primarily out of Philadelphia, but they're massive. Uh, and then Comcast bought NBC and then NBC who already had a sports uh, infrastructure basically took Golf Channel in. So I look back at those early days, you know, like Mike was talking, for example, about Peter Kessler and uh, Peter's command, not only of the language and delivery, but also in the history of the game. One of the things that I look back on fondly is the interviews that were done with, uh, you mentioned Jim Flick, for example, but many of the legends of the game uh, that played the game that are no longer with us, that we had a chance to hear from them and hear their remembrances, sometimes going back into the 20s and 30s. Uh, that I thought was very, very special. And, and like anything, as it gets bigger and, and as it grows, it's going to change. Uh, Golf Channel has become much more like a news channel, if you please, outside of the live coverage. Having said that, the, the heartbeat for Golf Channel, I guess in NBC Sports at large, in fairness, is live sporting events. And the amount of live golf coverage that Golf Channel covers is absolutely massive. I mean, the last time that I was hosting Golf Central up there, maybe not the last time, but one of the last times, we had three events going on at the same time. Reason being is they they have their scheduled times to finish, and it's a sporting event. If it goes into a playoff or what have you, it's going to run long. And I had a, a producer and a director in my ear saying, go to this one, go to that one, go to this one, go to that one. And we were basically live switching on the air. So for someone that, that like you guys, I suspect, that absolutely loves watching live sport, the way that Golf Channel is structured right now with all the agreements that they have with, with the former European tour now called the DP World Tour, uh, the PGA Tour, and their various tours that go along with that, whether we're talking Corn Ferry or whether we're talking uh, Champions Tour, uh, the LPGA, et cetera, et cetera, the, the the amount of coverage that we get from, from dawn until dusk and beyond is spectacular. I mean, even looking at the events in Hawaii, well into prime time and beyond, I love it. So, mm -hmm. so it has been an evolution. It, ha it has been a, a growing. It has been a, a great deal of change over the years. I've appreciated what it was, respected it tremendously, but I'm really excited about the amount of live coverage we get now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, where it is now is uh, it's a great place in the game. And, and one thing I appreciated about uh, the beginning days of the Golf Channel was uh, uh, some of the classic golf, like the Shell's uh, yeah. Wonderful World of Golf matches and where where you have legends passing the microphone and interviewing uh, themselves 
between uh, holes on these old matches and uh, the Bobby Jones series of uh, instruction clips. And, uh, um, and so that sort of leads me over to something that I'm very curious about your background with, with interviewing all of these guys, um, you know, from it's your website shows uh, Billy Casper and Gary Player and obviously, uh, you know, uh, Palmer and Nicholas and Woods and, and the guys, but what about Mo Norman? Have you ever had a chance to, uh, to interview Mo Norman? No, sadly, I didn't. I remember seeing Mo Norman back in the day when I was on the working side of, on the other side of the aisle, if you please, of the PGA Merchandise Show. But I never had a chance to speak with the man. I never had a chance to interview him before he passed. Mm-hmm. Well, there's yeah, a little bit of rumor uh, that uh, the Mo Norman story is up in Hollywood. The scripts have been passed around and they might be shooting as, as early as next year. Uh, so uh, that's interesting news. Um, and, yeah. you know, and to your point, guys, you know, the Golf Channel has evolved, but it's it's been great to see other golf analysts and personalities doing their own shows. And I think this platform, the podcast, has lent itself really well for people like Gary Williams to have a show as well called Five Clubs and your, yourself with Fairies of Life, which is fantastic. It's on five days a week. We'll talk about that a little later on. And, um, and how the betting world has come into effect to give the opportunity as a new sponsor, a new way to engage our, um, uh, our fans and to be completely immersed in what's happening. Uh, when we talk about the weekend with Cameron Smith and John Rahm and Matt Jones and Patrick Cantlay, and you're looking at the list of players, three of them breaking, uh, you know, the, the, the course record at 31 under, we're doing 32, 33, and 34 under. It's unprecedented. It's, it's incredible to see. Now, I know we've lined up for ideal conditions. We, we, there was a lot of rain before the tournament. Uh, there was a lot of uh, rollout, like usual. But the game has changed. I think there's a lot of players, like the, the average golfer playing tournament golf is arguably better than what it was back in the day now we could talk about equipment we could talk about course setup and um, all the variables but i think with technology and the training these players are doing uh, they're they're going to shoot lights out and it's not easy to shoot 20 under you know fourth place was seven away from the third third place patrick Cantlay was like 26 or 27 under so let's talk about the scoring and what happened this weekend as part of our, you know, a breakdown of top 10 things that happened this weekend. Yeah, for me, I, I thought it was interesting because I was waiting for it to happen and it did. The discussion of, is this a concerning sign? Is this an indication of uh, the game gone awry, you know, that, that this is too low? And then I, I snickered a little bit because the record that they broke was Ernie L's from almost two decades ago. So it is possible for the best in the world to go lights out low when the golf course is soaking wet from massive rains in December and virtually no wind, at least by the standard of what that golf course normally gets. And then when you consider the fact that that core and Crenshaw design is still a, a resort golf course, so they're not going to build it to a standard of say a u.s open in terms of difficulty etc all of those things combined uh, meant that we saw absolutely historic scoring i like it in many ways to whether you like to see a high scoring game or whether you like to see say a low scoring playoff game just as an example 
uh, for us, for, for hockey fans, would, do you want to go to a game that's six to five or do you want to see a, a playoff absolute just grinded out game where the final score ends up being one nil, right? And so I think there's a place for both of that in the game mm -hmm. of golf. I like seeing people go low. I like seeing a lot of birdies. I thought it was incredibly fun and incredibly exciting to start this way. And the fact that the top three all set records for scoring uh, was amazing as well. Uh, and then at times I love seeing the, the setups, for example, like Bay Hill or uh, Jack's tournament, the Memorial, obviously the majors where there's a premium on just steadiness and the score is going to be closer to par. I think the days of par are gone. So for all of those reasons, I was delighted with what we saw. I thought it was a lot of fun. I haven't seen the forecast for the Sony, but it's also possible that the winds are going to absolutely rip through uh, Hawaii and, and cause those scores to go up. So it's just, it's just the nature of the game. Yeah, it's the variables of the course. And no matter where you're playing golf, uh, you have to deal with uh, Mother Nature. And you don't know what you're going to get. And I agree with you, Matt, that it's fun to watch these guys make eagles and, uh, you know, and loads of birdies. But then how excellent is it to watch them struggle at a U.S. Open setup and uh, where one or two under might take the trophy and, and you get to see these guys make doubles and get frustrated. And then, and, and uh, as the rest of the golfing world can, uh, can relate to, because it is a hard game because we, we say it all the time and watching the tour players uh, struggle a little bit. There's something satisfying about that. Thought that they're, you know, it just is relatable because the, as a, myself, I'm an amateur golfer. So, you know, and, and I play a lot of tournaments, so I know what it's like to, ruin your scorecard on one hole. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, uh, it's fun to see. So I, I think, uh, you know, uh, seeing this low scoring, like we saw uh, this past weekend, uh, it, it's, it's necessary. And this is the tournament of champions. So these are the guys that all had great success last year and, and yeah. have, they're all there with their families and, and it's pretty much a vacation for them um, where they get to tee it up on. It's a beautiful golf course, but the fairways are 50, 80, 80 yards wide in many places. And so the, the, these guys are that good. So they, they, they've yeah, got plenty of room to miss It's a crew it. in good form. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Crew in good form. And to, and to the point that Raphael was alluding to as well, that, players today versus players of yesteryear, if you will. If you look at tournaments today from top to bottom, there is more depth in the field than at any other time in the history of the sport. However, what I love is that if you go through the history of the sport, there are golden eras from, from old and young Tom was definitely a golden era. I, I mean, I know that old Tom gets a lot of the attention but young Tom Morris literally changed the game. He was the first player that played like a modern professional golfer from the, from the standpoint of demanding what he deserved when he showed up to how we used irons in the game because he could use irons with the gutty golf ball and the feathery wasn't being ripped apart by they could, they used the wooden clubs because the feathery would tear. So it, it, the, he, that was a, that was a, a, a golden era. The great triumphant of, of uh, J.H. Taylor and, and James Braid and Harry Varden was a golden era. I think we had another one with Hagen and Jones and Sarazen. The next one, of course, was one of the more famous ones in Hogan and, and Nelson and Sneed. And that led into the big three in the late 50s, early 60s, as they each individually emerged with Palmer and player and Nicholas. And then Nicholas became an era of his own 
and he bumped into everybody up and up and to and through 1986 from well mr player and mr palmer certainly but also the likes of ray floyd uh, lee trevino uh, johnny miller tom weiskopf tom watson the list goes on and on and on so in each era at the top of the field call it 20 guys if you want to uh, it was an absolute bar fight and i believe that in each era those top players were every bit as good as any players that are playing the game today they would they would be champions no matter what era they played in it just didn't have the depth that it has today for all of those reasons that you mentioned equipment agronomy training all of it uh, plays into it so i think it's an i think we're actually in a golden era right now yes, absolutely. i literally think that we're it's surrounding us no i completely agree we're looking at john rom who statistically you, you would want to bet on him every single tournament there's no way you would not bet for him because if you look at statistics he's right at the top of every uh, available statistic and you know even if you look at colin morikawa or hovland you know, speaking of Hovland, I, did you guys see him in the tall grass over in the mm -hmm. native grass on the first day? He's just standing there. You could barely see his waist. And he's looking at his caddy saying, I think I got a shot. And that was just brilliant. I just <laughs> I can't believe. Yeah, I would have loved for him. He got talked out of it. And then, you know, there was a couple of things that, you know, highlighted the weekend, including uh, Morikawa's pants on Thursday, which, you know, I don't know what color that is. But it's very close to nuclear Springfield yellow. That's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> and then uh, Mickelson having his post-round interview, looking like he just climbed up a volcano because you know it's a hard course to walk. I, yeah. I would think yeah. you know after a full day and those temperatures going up and down uh, the side of the mountain is not easy. So if people think it's not an athletic sport, take a second look. I, I remember Bryson last year having his interview and being winded at his interview saying, I'm done. I am done. Um, so lots of great things this weekend. Anything else stands out for you during the tournament or going into uh, this Hawaii Aloha swing? Well, a couple things. First of all, the fact that for so many years for me and, and for the vast majority of the audience watching, we're tucked under a, a warm blanket of snow. And so I think it's so cool that the calendar year opens in paradise and that if there, if there's one thing it, that i hold true to is that golf obviously springs eternal and there's that hope that this snow and this cold and this freezing rain is is going to turn into something beautiful and then we get a chance to watch it so and the fact that as i mentioned earlier the fact that it's on in prime time i thought was just absolutely brilliant i don't know about you guys but i haven't and is in the interest of domestic tranquility in our family room, we actually have two televisions. I've got the big one, the smart TV, that my wife can watch whatever she please. Strictly Come Dancing or whatever the shows are that are on there, she can watch it, uh, Dancing with the Stars. But the other television is above the fireplace and I can keep the sound off and watch whatever I want. So I have the, I've had the golf on, that's where I, I watch my golf, I watch my hockey, I watch whatever I feel like, whatever sport can be on up there. And we had that, and that's that is so. Yes, that that stands out to me as something that was very distinctive. I thought it was great that, although we came up a shot short, that the world number one John Rom coming in saying, "Look, I stepped away from the game in order to spend time with my family uh, through after the Ryder Cup, 
and, and he kept talking about, you know, rust, a little bit of rust. I don't know what rust there was. It was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And it speaks to the strength of the game at the top of the game. And having said that, here's Cam Smith with, with, the, with the mullet and, and looking like Joe Dirt circa 19, 2001, I believe that movie came out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just, I love the personalities. I love what we're seeing. Do you remember how many years ago was it? 10, 15 years ago when, when the criticism was it looks like robo golf and everybody yeah. looks the same? We don't have that. Yeah. Just look at the top of that leaderboard with the different personalities, the different looks, the different golf swings. I, I really think the game's in a great place right now. And, and the event this past weekend showcased the same. Yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of unique personalities on the tour these days. And, uh, and Cameron Smith, is, I absolutely love it. The mullet, the mustache, he, he, like he, you expect him to be servicing your Camaro. But here he is. Uh, he, he, he stripes it like Iron Byron. Who's, who's the original and, and he, mullet, Mike? Who's the original mullet? With the mustache, uh, we've got John Daly, uh, right? He's the original oh, yeah. with the mustache. Oh yeah, with cigarettes hanging out of his mouth and beer hidden in his cooler, and uh, you know. So uh, uh, I think but, the mullet started in the NHL, though. Absolutely, it's yeah. definitely hockey hair for sure. <laughs> Us being Canadian, that's that's a regular thing. The beards yeah. have been around. Playoff beards have been around for a long time as well. But well, you got Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, you know, he was uh, told to cut his hair and he's uh, defying everyone's recommendations and he's letting it go. And there, there's there's great characters because golf used to have that with the Chichi Rodriguez uh, characters, Lee Trevino yeah. and all these interesting people that, that uh, had great stories and their characters on the golf course. And you know, we, we've had a few of them like uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez and over the years. But right now, the young crew, they're different. They're dressing different. And uh, uh I look forward to seeing what's coming down the road with these golfers. Well, you know, with, with Tommy, you mentioned Tommy's hair. Yeah. His dad is bald. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Tommy says he's going to enjoy it while he has it. And right. that's why he's got the flowing locks. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. But Tommy's got to look at what his grandfather has for hair and then uh, it could be a good indicator if his is going to stay or not. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a crazy, crazy cast of characters. And Mike, you touched on this a little bit with the uh, Champions Tour. We've got an amazing Champions Tour. It's growing exponentially, you know, especially with uh, Phil Mickelson making his appearance, really highlighting yeah. the tour and what's happening there. But you're right, you know, even on the regular tour, everybody from, you know, Sun JM to Justin Thomas, you know, I'm looking at the list here, Kevin Na, everybody's got their own, you know, brand or or look or a thing that they do. And, and social media certainly helps those who are active and those who are on the side of things, PIP, which is the, uh, uh, the if those of you who are listening or watching, it's the uh, player, um, is it the improvement program? No, it's not the improvement program. It's impact. The impact program, there, there we go. And, and that's just, you know, I don't understand why that's not a little bit more transparent. Um, I always thought that it should have maybe a live dashboard and that would go viral where we could actually see which players are ranking where and for what reason. It seems that, you know, those stats aren't being available. Um, just because we, we need to move on to the next subject, guys, let's talk about the ladies. Uh, big announcement by the LPGA, uh, of course, the USGA with the Women's Open. The five million dollar purse has doubled to 10 million dollars we've been waiting for something like this to happen with more coverage 
on the Golf Channel and NBC and CBS with, with women's golf. It's great to finally see uh, your thoughts on the purse increase. I love it. Uh, the, the fact it, it's, it speaks to many things. Uh, Mike Wan, the former commissioner of the LPGA, is the CEO of the United States Golf Association now. And when he stood up there and said that they were increasing the purse from a total of 5.5 million to 10 million, nearly doubling, uh, and, and with commitments to go even higher over the course of the next five years, up to 12 million, I think it speaks to a commitment to golf and women. It speaks to a commitment to growing the game. He even spoke in his opening comments when he made the announcement that he wanted young girls to aspire to a dream, to think about how great it would be to play golf professionally and to be able to make a, a good living at it as, as the top athletes in their respective sport. Uh, it's, it's where we should be. Uh, it's the right move all around. I, I applaud the USGA for what they did. I don't have any issue whatsoever that there's a sponsor associated with it. I mean, in, in 2022, I think we'd be naive to think that events would not have sponsorship of, of one way, shape or form. Uh, and and this in this case, it's a presenting sponsor. They didn't change the name of, of the US Open. Aside from that, the LPGA, I realize it's not the USGA, but the LPGA in this case, already has sponsors of a couple of that are named in the title in a, a couple of their majors. So majors survive even with sponsors names associated, but when the good outweighs uh, any concerns and the good in this one outweighs any of those concerns by, by more than, uh, than, than any measure at $10 million. I just think it's for, for every measure, for every reason, I think it's great for the game. The LPGA to depth of field has improved a lot over the last decade 15 years uh you know i mean it was strong back when annika was dominating uh, but the purses weren't there as where they could be so this i i i agree this is uh, an applaudable move and and overdue uh if you will because the 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 talent out there these girls are so good they're they're their iron play, their wedge game, uh, they're consistent. And, and some of them are long, like you know, some of them will take me off the tee. So that's for sure. So uh, uh, yeah. this is, it's long overdue. And hopefully this carries over into uh, some of the other tour events. And uh, so uh, um, the girls down in the middle of the pack aren't struggling for, uh, for travel money and sponsorship money. And, and it allows them yeah. to, to, uh, to follow and pursue their career. Well, let's face it, as independent contractors, it's not easy to travel and to maintain any level of, of uh, salary because just, just having a caddy is ex expensive as it is. But, you know, the, the women are great ambassadors of the game. They go over and beyond, I find, to take care of their sponsors during the tournament. People like uh, Nelly Korda and Lydia Ko have done a fantastic job going all the way back to, obviously, Annika uh, and uh, Sorenstam. And, but... Um, I, it, it's it's sad to hear stories where you have the, the bottom tier of players, and they're not that bottom tier. They're top 100 players talking about doing coin laundry during an event, right? They don't have enough money to stay at, at a nice place. That, and and it, it's nice to finally see not only the largest purse in golf, but this is the largest purse in women's sport, period. Uh, so that's, that's, that's incredible to see. Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. All right, let's let's turn over and uh, talk a little bit about uh, fairways of life. Um, Matt, when can we 
listen to you? Where can we watch you? And where can we get your new book? The Fairways of Life for me started in in 2006. As, as I was telling you guys, in the course of my career, after the chicken soup books, I left the golf equipment manufacturing industry and I went back into the green grass side of the game and I started managing clubs. So the last uh, golf course that I managed was called Newport National up in Newport, Rhode Island. And when the winter would come, of course, we would be under that same bed of snow that I was telling you about. And so I would write. And that's when I started writing these books. And in 2006, I wrote a book called Fairways of Life, which basically used golf as a metaphor for life. And so as part of that effort, of course, you know, you register the name, you get the domain name, et cetera. So I decided, again, during those same cold, dark months to go back into a piece of my own history and do some radio. And so I reached out to, uh, through the, through the PJ tour helped me. I reached out to what was then known as XM radio it was before Sirius purchased them. And they had a PGA tour channel. There wasn't a lot of programming on it. I think Peter Kessler may have had a show on there back in those days or else it came a little after. I can't remember. And they said to me, well, you know, if you want to do a, a weekly interview show, have at it. And I did. That's how it started. And then when Sirius came in and bought them, Sirius came to me and said, hey, we're looking for a morning anchor show. Would you be willing to do the show five days a week? Well, the reason why my show is a morning show is because I needed to get to the golf course. I needed to open it up, make sure the shop was open and get people out on the course. So I agreed to do a show from seven to nine. And for a decade, that's what I did. The Fairways of Life show was the morning show on PGA Tour Radio. In 2018, I, because of the advent of technology, I pulled the show off Sirius XM and independently syndicated it. Uh, and we, it was, it, it was then as it is now a live show. And we used all of the different audio platforms around the world from iHeart, uh, TuneIn, Apple, all of them. And what I was trying to do was, you know, satellite radio was brilliant. I had a great time being there, but it reached a very, very small audience. And I wanted to be able to reach all of America. What we didn't realize in our efforts was we reached all of North America, Canada too, and the rest of the world. So as things continue to evolve with the show and as the sh and once the show finishes its live window, it immediately becomes a 24 seven available podcast. So as we've evolved, if you will, it, as, as evidence, even that you were referring to Raphael, everyone calls the show a podcast and ultimately it does become a podcast, mm. but when it's airing, it's, it's live digital radio, it's live television streaming, which we just started in 2020. Uh, and that was something I did because of COVID. That's the, the studio that I'm broadcasting to you from right now, the Fairways of Life studio, the same one that I use for all of my golf channel work, except for when they have me host um, in, in, in the main studio outside of New York City. And so we started doing the television side and the digital radio side at the same time. Last weekend was another huge milestone for us because that was the debut of our national broadcast show. So Fairways of Life on the weekends is a national broadcast show on, it would be equivalent up in Canada to uh, TSN, for mm -hmm. example. Um, and so we're on from New England Sports Network to Valley Sports to NBC Sports to Root Sports in the Northwest, the USA, et cetera, et cetera, 
all of these networks combined, uh, we're reaching 100 million homes a week on just the television broadcast side, while we're still doing the digital streaming of television and the digital radio, again, both of which become on demand uh, in, a, in a video, I guess a vodcast and a, a podcast, if you please. So uh, it, that, that's been the evolution and the Fairways of Life is primarily what it's always been. Uh, which is a, an interview driven show we deal like you guys are with thoughts of the week thoughts of the day thoughts of the tournament observations of the same but ultimately what i love to do is i think that every human being's a library and i love to find out what their story is and we've got right now over ten thousand interviews in our archives wow and a lot of them that i'm really excited that we have and proud of that we have because they're legends that have passed and so as much as we can, we try to feature them. We've got one coming up in March. We're going to re-air an interview, a sit-down interview we did with Arnold Palmer, which we believe it was the last full-on un unstructured interview that he did, just basically mm -hmm. sit down in a chair and two guys talking. Uh, Charlie Sifford is one that I'm very proud of. That wasn't a video interview then, but, it, but it's audio, and it's very moving for everything that he went through to break the color barrier in the game of golf. So that's just some examples of it, but it's, it's all of it has been, I, I don't even consider it work to tell you the truth, as I'm sure you guys feel the same way about this show that you do. It's, it's just been incredibly fun. And I, I'm so grateful that circumstance has allowed us to continue to do it as, as a, as a primary engagement. In this type of show format is uh, exploding in popularity, or especially the last few years as well. Like you know, I'm sure when you started, uh, you know, the the viewership wasn't uh, what it is now, but uh, a lot of people in the younger generations are turning to podcasts, and uh, they're not growing up on cable TV like the rest of us have in our generation. So they're looking at YouTube. They're 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 going into the podcast uh, platforms, and, and this is where they they're they're learning or they're they're uh, you know uh, following their their passionate subjects. And uh, so I think it's timely. And Raf and I started this uh, last year, and is you know we both know a lot about golf, and we caught ourselves talking for an hour on the phone. We're like, well, this was this was a podcast that we 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 this phone call we just did was literally a show right so uh and, and like you just said we've been doing for 25 years mike <laughs> yeah pretty much and you know but matt you said it it's like everybody is full of stories they don't have to be uh world famous to to have yeah. some kind of uh, interesting uh you know, a view on the game and, and, uh, you know, they don't have to be a professional. Uh, there's all types of people that, uh, um, come into golf and, and have fun stories to share. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's the essence. And, and again, why we like to do this live is, uh, um, it, it, it puts a little bit of nerves into, into you just naturally as a human. And Raf and I have both been DJs uh, in the past, and I've done a lot of podcasts uh, on the music side. And, uh, um, so, so that's just a natural segue into this. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it's, and talk. It's, it's great, Mike, to be able to celebrate people like Matt, because we always say, why don't we see more of him or her on the show on, on certain types of shows? So it was great to be able to reach out to the people that we thought should, you know, have a, a little bit more of a voice, should be should be able to tell their story. So, Matt, you know, you sharing everything that you've done and and you're so well uh, spoken when you talk about golfers of of of, of the past and, and the interviews that you've done. So thank you for all that you do. 
you know, that's what we want to do. We celebrate the not only the players, but the golf analysts and industry folks in all different types of areas to talk to them and hear their story and how they're involved or were involved. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear, right, Mike? Yeah. No, definitely. And, and there's one thing about golf that uh, all of us just to really enjoy is the golf and travel. All right, because this is the one sport that you can go play the same courses that the pros played, walk the fairways, sit in the clubhouse, and it's, it's baseball, hockey. You're not going into Madison Square Gardens and going to shoot the puck around on the ice uh, uh, unless you want to get arrested. So, but golf, uh, we can do that. So, and Matt, you organize uh, a lot of excursions that we see, and uh, uh, which uh, appear they sell out very quickly. So, why don't you run us through uh, what you've been doing there, and, and and the type of trips and the itinerary, and 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 who's coming? What type of people are coming yeah, along for your trips? First of all, thank you for your kind comments. The the trips that we do. I don't do it as a business. Uh, I do it just to say thank you to the people who have been loyal to us for years and years. And so I'm Irish. And, and one day, I, I don't even know how many years ago it was, I was on the air and I said, I'm going back to Ireland again. I, I go uh, a number of times a year. And I said, does anyone want to go with me? And the phone lines would poof and, and lit up. And, and that's how it started. Mm -hmm. So this year we have a trip to New Zealand planned, uh, which is uh, sold out. We have a trip to the north and uh, northwest of Ireland, uh, which I, I believe it's sold out. But I did I did hear uh, that uh, someone might have to drop out because of a family issue. So we might have two or three spots. Uh, we're going to go to French Lick Resort, which I absolutely love uh, in Indiana. We're probably going to add one or two more into the mix. And it's these incredible opportunities we have to hang out with the fans of the show. And they, be, mm -hmm. and they end up becoming really honest. They become great friends as well. Um, we, we get together. I, I, I call it, uh, you know, holiday card friends where you go on a, on a trip, as you guys I'm sure have done and can appreciate. And the intensity of the experiences that you share together are, are, leave such a mark on your heart and on your soul that these people become much closer than just being an acquaintance that you traveled with. So, you know, for example, next year, uh, I'm, I'm going to bring them back to Scotland. We're going to go back to St. Andrews and play the old course. We would do it this year, except that it's a little busy in July of this year with a major. So that kind of stuff, just, it, it, it lights me up. It, it's a joy. It's part of one of the benefits to me of doing what we do that we get to bring people to places that that is probably a bucket list for them um, many times that they've never been to before. And my philosophy is that because it's not being run as a business, we I try to do everything first class, put them in really nice hotels, go to nice dinners, have luxury coach buses that that carters around. And usually they end up still paying less than what they would if they went through, a, you know, a formal tour operator. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been the reason why they've been successful. We went up and, and did uh, uh, the, the Cabot courses recently. Uh, we went to PEI and, and, and wolfed down as much lobster as, as we possibly could. <laughs> so it's it's just it's the combination of all these experiences. If you go to northern Michigan to Boyne, which which is uh, not too far, Raphael, from where you are, and and just love the experiences. There's so much about this game. To I look at it as a buffet, and and just what do you want? All of it. Yeah, I think that brings us to the point where we're talking about these great golf courses, and we all have some uh, funny or maybe embarrassing stories that either happened at an event or an <laughs> outing. Um, 
who would like to get started with a story? I've, I've, you know, we do it every week. I'm running out of stories, but uh, the more we talk about it, something pops up. I guess I'll, uh, I'll break the ice here. I was over okay. at, at the uh, 2007 President's Cup doing uh, media coverage on that event, following uh, Mike Weir on one of the opening days. And um, I positioned myself about 100 yards behind his caddy uh, over on the ninth hole at Royal Montreal. And uh, being an assistant professional there, knowing the golf course really well in the mid-2000s, I positioned myself about 100 yards away. Uh, but I was right in his line. And so when he uh, lined up his fairway shot and put his club down, he, he tilted his head backwards and looked directly at me turned around and asked me to move. <laughs> and there was, you know, there was a, there's a pretty large crowd and every, you would hear this lull in the crowd, like, oh, <laughs> I felt, I felt it. it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, you know, uh, I should have known better being a golfer and being at that course. So that's, uh, that's my story. I would take that as a mark of pride, Raphael, because the, <laughs> the reputation that Mike has on the PGA Tour is that his, he doesn't have just rabbit ears, he has satellite they can hear everything i remember one time he yelled at so one of my broadcasters he usually has his caddy what you know they do the wave like what are you doing what are you doing yeah, yeah. and the guy was two holes over broadcasting another something else it was another group that he was playing my i guess my story of uh thoroughly being embarrassed in a golf course was the open at royal burkdale in 17. i was working with a european tour broadcaster a guy who's one of the european tour named paul eels and we were assigned to final round, Jordan Spieth and Matt Kuchar. And they played the 12th hole. That was a little par three, kind of a redan green. And then you go up a hill to the 13th tee box. Now, everyone remembers what happened at 13 with Jordan Spieth on that Sunday, but they may not know what led to it. Walking up that hill to get to the 13th tee, the RNA had the ropes a little too close and the faithful who, who had had a, a few pints throughout the course of the day were pressing in on the ropes to the point that all of us that were inside the ropes and doing what we were doing, players, caddies, all of us, we, we could only go up that hill one at a time. We would only fit through those ropes one at a time because of the way that the gallery had it pressed in. So by the time we got to the 13th tee, none of us had time to disperse. So we were all crowded around the 13th tee and there, there was this sense of being falling behind, just a sense of being rushed because of what happened. Uh, it's a, kind of a secret story that no one knows about with that open. In fact, Matt Kuchar, I saw even complaining to uh, or some of the RNA officials. So Jordan got up there, obviously rushed, blocked his shot off to the right. We knew that he blocked it to the right, but because we were all squished in on the tee box, we couldn't see where the ball ended up. So Jordan took off after two shots. Jordan took off down the windy little shaved path to get to the fairway. I was right behind Jordan. And to show you how it was kind of getting, getting more and more raucous as the day went on, <laughs> there was someone in the middle of that little pathway. It was just a fan that somehow had gotten there and kind of put the knuckles out to, to Jordan, like, Hey, keep up the good work. And Jordan at this point had just blown it. Right. I think he wanted, I wanted to use the knuckles for something else, but he kind of knuckle bumped him and, and carried on his way. We were out in the fairway. I remember we settled and it was David Faraday, Roger Malpe, Paul and myself. It, we were all standing in this little knoll. It was the only place where you could stand and see. And I remember the producer coming to my headset saying, 
Maddie, can you see where the ball is? And we were like, no, we have no idea where it went. Remember, we didn't have the benefits of the cameras that the people at home watching had. Right. We saw this huge crowd of people on the right of 13 gathered around. And so we thought that's where the ball was. But then I saw Michael sprinting up this huge dune and realized that the ball was somewhere else. Later to find out the ball hit a man in the head there and ricocheted over the dune. And that crowd was surrounding the man that was injured. So as, as everything started to shift over the dune, and it looked surreal, it looked like some medieval battlefield, it, was, it had been off and on rain all day, so I had the waterproofs on, and I had turned to Paul, and I said, Paul, I really have to use the toilet. And he said, well, uh, can you wait just a few minutes? This shouldn't take long. I said, sure, of course I can wait a few minutes. Well, a few minutes turned into a lot more than a few minutes, as you recall. Jordan ultimately gets up and down, makes one of the greatest bogeys I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And they, everyone takes off towards the 14th tee, the par three. On the way, there were a couple of portajons or porta loos as, as they, they phrase, on the right, hidden behind a, a green wall to hide the blight of the same. And I waited for the whole crowd to pass. I went into one of them. I called to my producer on my microphone and headset and said, I, I need to take a gentleman's break here, so I'm going to disconnect the microphone. I'll be listening. And I hear the announcer take over the call. Jordan hits his, his tee shot at 14, sticks it, as the, as the announcer said, to about two feet. It ended up being, in reality, about five feet. And I thought, geez, my world couldn't be any better. Yep. Here I am. I'm able to relieve myself. And two <laughs> seconds later, I hear this on the door, harsh, like demanding knock on the door. And I'm like, who could that possibly be? The entire world already passed me by. I opened the, the, the door, Porta John's door, and because of the green wall that hit it from view, the door can only open about 12 to 14, 16 inches. And I open the door and face to face, there's Jordan Spieth staring at me. He also needed to use the facilities. <laughs> and clearly Jordan now didn't want to hold up Matt Kuchar any more than he just had in the hole before. Right, so he right, wanted right. to get in and get out. So he's already started to comport himself to what his, his task is before him. I've got to get out of the way with all this equipment on a waterproof. So we're trying to pass each other through the doorway like a Seinfeld episode. Right. I felt horrible. <laughs> So I, I slinked back down the hill to, to the green area, plugged my microphone back in, did not tell a soul what had just took place because I was convinced <laughs> that the delay and the aggravation will have thrown off Jordan Spieth. And, and if he misses this birdie putt, it's over. There's no way that he's going to be able to get the momentum to capture the open. Ultimately, thankfully, by the grace of God, he made that putt. You remember what he did at 15 yeah, with, yeah. with the Eagle. And from there, yeah. we were off to the races. So, for a fleeting moment, I was convinced that I'd cost the man the open. Right. Wow. <laughs> you're a great That's storyteller, amazing. Matt. We love it. Loving it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're mentioning think. all these people like Roger Malpe. I got a Roger Malpe story, but Mike, it's your turn. So you go ahead. But thanks for sharing. But I definitely <laughs> won't be able to top that. But <laughs> oh, no. um, it, 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 instead of, you know, my usual embarrassing moments, I'm going to call this one lucky. Uh, and it was at... Uh, uh, Northview Golf Club Ridge Course, which used to be the home of the Air Canada Championship and Greater Vancouver Open here, and uh, it's uh, it's a regular stop out here for us to play. And I was out with a few buddies who are probably you know mid mid caps, you know a couple of them are higher caps, and the third hole is a par three, uh, and there's some mounds and and bunkers around the green. It's an Arnold Palmer design. So Craig Patterson, he's got his push click gear three wheeler cart. He, he dropped a ball in the water. He had to play his shot, comes up, and he didn't put his handbrake on his cart. So oh, no. as you hear, this happens all the time. 
cart goes tumbling down into the water. So obviously we're all laughing at him because uh, that's what <laughs> that's what you do. Um, so he gets it out and we carry on. We finish. We go up. We have dinner uh, and, and you know enjoy the day as best as possible. So here's where my luck comes in. Uh, they were phoning me uh, as I was leaving. Fortunately, uh, I, I was probably dialing out or something in the car and it went straight to voicemail and I missed this call, thankfully. Because what had happened when his bag tumbled into the water, his car keys fell out. So oh. the three of them had to go back out. They got a cart from the pro shop and they went back out to the hole and they all got in the water and, and on their hands and knees. And, and finally it took them, a, you know, I'm not sure exactly how long it took them, but they did find those keys in the mucky water hazard. Oh. Uh, and, and I would have just been guilted into going out there you know, in the dark to help them with this. So, uh, I, and I, I heard that voice smell when I got home and I was able to call the guys and they had just gotten out, uh, gotten the keys and left the golf club. And I just was just tickled pink. <laughs> I didn't have to help with that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's mine for today. It doesn't, uh, rival yours matt but uh pretty good if you want to tell us a couple more gems matt uh, absolutely (laughs) please go ahead because um that was a great we were talking about the president's cup but you've got a the jack story that you haven't told yet where jack was on the range with tiger oh yeah having a conversation you can make that one quick you're right yeah really quickly uh with press passes uh, because raf had uh, an extra media pass and uh, i was in toronto the night before so i jumped in the car and i met him at royal montreal the next morning (laughs) with my little Sony camera and just, just loving it, taking pictures. And literally I'm five feet from Phil and Jack and uh, I'll have to post this picture. I'll dig it out and post it online just cause it's so funny. And Jack is giving me stink guy, like who the F are you? Let me look at your badge, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I've got a bunch of those. I think I got stink guy from tiger in there too uh, as well. But uh, uh, like I said before that, that type of event and Matt, you've probably seen this uh, happen, but uh, what I really appreciated about being that close and being in, in that type of event was uh, VJ and Mike Weir were trying each other's equipment, you know, so Mike Weir was hitting right-handed shots, uh, uh, Tiger and um, um, I'm not drawing his name, uh, Charles Howell. Uh, they were uh, experimenting with each other's golf balls and and uh, it was really fun to watch these guys uh, you know not playing their normal gear and getting used to playing together in, in a team format and uh, so yeah that, that, that was a great experience awesome absolutely awesome yeah i guess uh rafael asked for for another story it's, it, I, I you know the reputation of steve stricker hmm. for for being emotional for for mm-hmm. for tears uh, kind of struck me. Uh, it was it was at Colonial. I don't remember the year, but I was doing on-course play-by-play. And at this particular tournament, the temperature was probably Celsius, probably 35. And we were out there all day. And and being Irish and, and already having skin cancer, I, I had so much sun cream, sunscreen on, sunscreen on that what happens to me, and I suspect it happens to everybody, is at the end of the day, after you've been out there for 8, 10, 12 hours, it's, it starts to come down your face and it, and it goes into your eyes. And it burns like someone has, has a lit cigarette in your, in your eye. And so we get into it. It was against Tim Clark and Steve Stricker. And, and I, I thought it was going to wrap up the regulation. It didn't. It goes into the playoff. And when we finish, 
Steve Stricker wins. The producer says to me, go out there and interview Steve Stricker, winner's interview. And our, our audio goes through the, the, the same trucks, television, radio, it's all the same uh, equipment. And because it was a playoff and because it went to overtime, the, 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 the truck wanted to get out of there. So I'm doing my interview and I'm walking away and the producer says, um, Maddie, we have bad news. The truck started to shut down. So we didn't get the interview with Steve Stricker. You got to go back in and do it again. I'm like, great. And as, as you were talking about, Mike, going, going back in and, and seeing players who have a zillion things to do and saying, Hey, sorry, what we just did didn't work. We got to do it again. It's not always the funnest assignment. But Steve's such a gentleman, and, and so he was fine. So we go in and we do the exact same thing again on the exact same green, same interview. And as I'm doing the interview this time, the, 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 the heat, the sweat, the sunscreen was becoming overbearing. And I've got a clipboard in one hand, and I've got the microphone in the other hand that I'm holding up, so I can't wipe it away. It is seeping into my eye like, like a lava <laughs> flow. And at this point, I start to blink my eye like a madman and I cannot help it. My eye starts to water in, in tears are streaming down my cheeks because right. of the, the way my eye was burning. Steve Stricker's doing the interview with me. He sees me with the, with the tears on my face, thinking that I'm as emotional about his victory as him. And I wasn't unemotional. I was happy for him, but it was to the point that when we finished, I said, Steve, congratulations. Thank you very much. Back to you guys. He literally put his hand on my shoulder and said, thanks a lot, Matt. And I felt so awful. Yeah. I, I felt literally like it was a Seinfeld again. It, it, to scream out, it was the sunscreen. But I, what are you going to say at that point? You don't want to say to him, no, I'm not emotional for your win. It's, <laughs> it's like because my eyes burning out. <laughs> it's a Larry David moment. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Very much. Well, guys, that's great. That's great. You know, it brings me back to the fact that I'm talking about the President's Cup so much now and and – going to so many Canadian Open since, uh, since the late 90s. Uh, I was standing on the tee on the 18th hole when Mike Weir and Tiger Woods were tied on that final match mm. where he won it by one stroke. And there was about 20,000 people moving from the 17th hole, which is a par three, onto the next hole. Um, and it was so full, so loud, that Tiger couldn't even have a conversation with his caddy because it was so loud. He pulled out his driver... And I played that hole so many times. I, I, I stood there, and as he hit it, I knew the ball flight. And because I've been following him for almost four days, I said, that's not going over the water. And the person beside me said, it's going over. I said, no, it's not. And he said, watch it. And as we're kind of going back and forth, and I look over, and it's Roger Maltby telling me that the ball's going to go over the pond. Oh, my. And it lands right into the bank of the pond. He just he needed another half a yard to clear it and do a tremendous shot because he needed 280 to clear it from the back tees on Ooh. that side. And he was able to do it, but he just, he just missed it. He teed up again and hit it over. And hit it over exactly, wow. went down the same line. I couldn't believe he took the same line because the kind of the hole wraps around uh, the pond. And um, so that was an incredible experience. And uh, that was my Roger Malpe moment, uh, you know, arguing <laughs> with a guy not knowing who it was at the time because uh, I didn't. He's a good it. guy. Yeah, great guy. Great guy. Yeah, great announcer. Mike, we're going into one hour here. Uh, any final thoughts or mentions? Well, uh, I mean, Go ahead. go ahead, Mike. You, oh, you go ahead, Matt. Uh, for me, as I mentioned to you, gents, it's it's about gratitude. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. I appreciate 
the opportunity to spend some time on your podcast and share some some funny stories. I, I love that you have a segment with embarrassing stories at the end because there's not enough people that do that. The game of golf is embarrassing. It's part of the reason that we love it as much as we do. Exactly. Uh, and, and just the fact that we all get to in, in various ways, Mike, you talked about this too. Uh, it, it really comes down to passion. And regardless of, of where you are relative to game in your life, we all can share a fierce passion for it. And that's, that's the common bond. So I, for me, I'm just, I'm just thankful that, that you guys allowed me to share some of it with you. Uh, and, and we appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join us because, uh, you know, we're, uh, in our infancy with the show and, uh, when both Raf and I are, uh, have other things that we do, but this, this is, uh, a lot of fun and, and glad that we've embarked in it. And, uh, um, you know, we look forward to continuing doing it and, and, and just like you said, just talking and sharing some golf stories. And one of the things we really do enjoy is just, you know, getting embarrassing moments going on because it, it could be a 25 <laughs> handicapper slips down the, you know, the side of a hill and, you know, whatever the story might be, there's, there's someone, everyone has something out there with golf and, uh, uh, and it's compelling every, you know, it, it, it's a humiliating game. It teaches us to lose more than win. And, uh, you know, I, I've played probably close to 300 tournaments in the amateur scene and i've won maybe eight you know so it really teaches you how to how to lose and, and uh, even on on uh, for professional golfers at the tour level uh they they play uh, hundreds and hundreds of events and just have a few wins so so it's yeah. it's a game of losing um and much like life you know it's uh, it's not always fair and it's a great name for your podcast right and, and golf is uh, is is a good uh, comparison to that Thank you. Um, anything you want to promote Matt where any other channels you want to mention uh, where uh, no I mean my, my stuff with uh, NBC and Golf Channel continues uh, yeah. fairwaysoflife.com is a website if they need any information on where we are and how to get us but we're we're pretty much everywhere and we're just going to keep on keeping on Excellent. Oh, All right. thank you. Well, maybe and, we'll get yeah. around in sometime soon, and maybe in Florida, maybe here in Canada. We have the Canadian Open. Uh, I think a lot of uh, our American listeners or worldwide listeners don't under, don't realize how old the Open here is in Canada since 1904. Yeah. We're celebrating 118 years of the Canadian Open over at the St. George's Golf and Country Club out in the Greater Toronto area, and. Um, so thanks again for coming on. For Matt Adams, Michael Bleakley, I'm Raphael Kalmat. You've been listening and watching the Golf Podcast Live. Special thanks to our sponsors, Drinkwell, Upper Hand, Sports Cards and Collectibles, ECS, Evolve Creative Solutions, Digital Marketing Solutions. Hey, guys, have a great week. And we'll... Uh, Thank you.